Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic today on the show. Good friend of the program, James Edwards, is back in the building. James, how's it going, man? I'm doing well, Sam. Appreciate you having me on. I I enjoyed our last conversation, and as you know, things are crazy right now for the for the teams remaining and the teams not remaining, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Just one of the absolute most fun people to talk about with basketball because he's so good at knowing the ins and outs of the NBA. One of the more underrated smart writers in the country, in my opinion, James. So I'm Thank so you, glad Sam. that you're here. Tearing up. Oh, I, anything I can do. Anything I can do to make you uh, tear up a little bit is a win for me. We're going to talk. The 76ers losing to the Hawks. The Hawks taking that series uh, as much as anything. Uh, I do want to spend some time on Atlanta because uh, as people know, I thought Atlanta actually did have a really good matchup in that series. Mm-hmm. And I'm not stunned that they were able to take it. I'm a little bit stunned given some of the injury stuff that they dealt with, but uh, I digress. Then we're going to talk a bit about Ben Simmons and his place within the Philadelphia 76ers because, oh boy, did they have to do some damage control this morning. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk Clippers Jazz. We're going to talk about Terrence Mann, the unbelievable play from him, the Reggie Jackson uh, Reggie Jackson-assance. I'm so shocked by this. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And James covered him for at least one year in Detroit, right? He he was bought out last year, two and a half. So two and a half, yeah. So James will will have some fun with this one. Uh, Then we're going to talk Suns Clippers, obviously. We're going to talk Kemba Walker trade and where Boston and Oklahoma City kind of go from here. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the draft lottery. So James, let's just dive right in. We have a big loaded schedule to deal with. The Philadelphia 76ers fall to the Atlanta Hawks. What was your kind of overriding takeaway were you surprised did you think that this was possible what where were you at once you saw that the clock hit zeros in the fourth quarter of game seven certainly surprised in the totality of the series i mean we were talking about on the basket buds how even though atlanta won game one i thought those last few minutes when philly was pressing and just being very physical with atlanta that that was going to kind of carry over to the rest of the series and Shout out to Atlanta. I want to lead with love before I, we go to hate because we're going to get there. Um, I want to shout out Atlanta and Trey Young and just the way he was such a maestro this series. The way he got teammates involved in the pick and roll. His ability to read just the slightest step from Embiid, especially in Game 7, to find the lob to Capella. Credit to Capella for sticking with it. And he had, I thought, a really good Game 7 or at least a solid Game 7 in comparison yeah. to the last few games. Um, it shows, I think people had questions with Atlanta when they did their offseason. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of offense here. Uh, where's the defense? And Nate McMillan takes over. The defense is, I would say, more than passable. They, they were pretty good. Um, and then offensively, it just goes to show what happens when you have a bunch of guys on the perimeter who not only can create their own shot, but create for others. And I think this Atlanta team offensively is just built the right way. Shout out to Schlenk. Travis Schlenk and those guys. Um, that, that I think that was the biggest takeaway for me. I, I thought Philly, while they wore down toward the end of every game, their offense completely crumbled. Um, Doc having having Thibel, Hill, and Simmons out there for long portions of games. It, I think Atlanta did everything that they needed to do, and they showed why, or at least the front office showed why they wanted to make this push, this offensive push, because they they clearly felt that if they could get into the dance, 
that they were going to be hard for teams to guard. And I think that that's, I mean, that's proved itself right at every step of this playoff so far. Yeah, I think that's dead on. I mean, the reason that I thought that this was a really interesting matchup for Atlanta, and I think in the end I picked Philadelphia in seven, but I thought you're a normal person. Right. Like I I thought it was a 50, 50 series though, to be honest. And in part, it was because if there's one thing that Trey young can do, it's really just kill drop coverage. Now, on top of that, I thought that some of Philadelphia's defensive players tend to be a bit over aggressive. And Mm -hmm. whenever you're over aggressive with Trey young, he's just going to make you pay with the way that fouls are called in the NBA right now. Trey is so good at getting his body into other players frames and just getting to the line and making that a bit easier for himself right so i I honestly by the end of the series i thought tobias harris was doing like the best job on trey young (laughs) it was was wild like he was the only one that wasn't falling for like the trey young oh i'm gonna lean into you bullshit that kind of everyone else does because he's so shifty and creative with the ball but Mm -hmm. that that specific matchup where because doc rivers has been so unwilling to go to Ben Simmons at the five lineups and not without reason, because those lineups haven't been amazing this year, but it's still like you're dealing with Dwight Howard, right? right. Like, I mean, why Howard, not try it? Just try yeah. something. Yeah. Dwight, Dwight Howard was a nightmare in this series. Like Anyeka Kongwu absolutely destroyed him. And I like mm-hmm. Anyeka a lot. I had him at number four on my board last year, but I mean, this is a rookie who didn't play a ton this season because of injuries and is still adjusting and acclimatizing to the game in the NBA. So it was it, the fact that I knew that doc wouldn't go small. The fact that if Joel is on the court, he has to play and drop. I thought it created a really real confluence of events for Atlanta to be able to score in this series against what is ostensibly the best defense in the NBA, in my opinion. So great point. I I just kind of look at it and I thought, okay, this is going to be fun with Trey. I think he's going to kill it. But at the same token, like Bogdan Bogdanovich goes down and was not very effective in the series like i thought that was actually a critical part of any upset that atlanta would pull i I thought that he would need to play really well they got some performances from him early in the series but by the end of the series his knee was just acting up too much to where he couldn't play deandre hunter's out like deandre hunter is just like done right now for the playoffs those are two guys plus obviously cam reddish was an an enormous part of this rebuild uh Mm -hmm. with the pick that they took in addition to Trey Young in the Luka Doncic trade, that's three guys that they're not really getting anything out of that are huge pieces of this team. And I think it's a credit to the way that Travis Schlenk has built the roster that, yeah, they miss those guys, but it's not a death knell for them. No. Because no. Kevin Herter has been great. Clint Capella has been pretty good. He at least dealt with the physicality that Joel presented him and uh, forced him into those like mid-range shots, I think. John Collins has been spectacular. And John Collins... Yeah, I mean, John Collins has made himself a lot of money, I think. Yeah, and and Danilo hit just enough shots. And Gallinari was really good in specific matchups. That's the thing that I think Nate McMillan has done really well. He has targeted specific matchups that, okay... We have a lot of guys that can go out and get buckets. If Seth Curry is sitting on Kevin Herter, we're going to just attack with Kevin Herter. If George Hill is sitting on Danilo Gallinari, yeah, you damn well better believe that we're going to attack with Danilo Gallinari. And 
The reason that they can do that is because they have so much spacing on the court because John Collins is at least a reasonable three point shooter. Um, you know, obviously Kevin Herter, Trey Young, uh, you know, even like when Tony Snell comes in, Tony Snell obviously hit like 50% of his threes this year. Lou Williams is a reliable shooter. So there's always space to operate in a one on one setting. And when the playoffs come, it's all about matchups, right? So this, it's, it's a really impressive team build, and this team is only on the rise. Like it's just going to get better, I think. And I and I hate to say this because it's just so cliche, and I mean a little corny, but Atlanta has swagger, and that carried them, I think, totally. through a lot of this series. Like those guys, while they might not have done it, they believe they should have been there. They believe they should have probably been there years ago. They felt like they were always built for those moments. I mean, Bogdanovich has had you probably you know this as well as anybody. He's had. European moments like this wasn't nothing new to him Gallinari's been in the league for a while um Trey is just I mean we've watched Trey like Trey was built for these moments and I I mean and then you have Kevin Herter step up and a huge game seven really exploiting uh, Seth Curry um yeah I mean it's it's corny it's cliche to say but this is a team with swagger and maybe I mean Phoenix I was talking to somebody the other day and we'll, we'll talk about Phoenix but Phoenix has the most goodwill right now of the remaining teams. Like, aside from once until the Chris Paul thing happened, they got they handled business versus the Lakers. They played the right way. Everybody's locked in. There was no injuries. There was no like circus. There was no weird media after post game anything. But then Atlanta has, I think, the most. I mean, it's not a thing. Atlanta carries the most swagger in the playoffs, and they've carried it pretty much all season, specifically after they made the coaching change. Um, and I think that's, I mean, you have to have that if you're not a veteran team. Um, when you're when you're trying to break through, you have to have the confidence that you belong. Um, and I believe Atlanta's Golden, the 14-15 Golden State team was um, the team with the least amount of playoff experience that went on to do something until this Atlanta team. And you look at the makeup of a lot of guys, and, and, and not comparing them individually, but just the makeup mindset, you see a lot of, um, similarities there with those two, and and that was kind of the goal. Remember, like you hear, Kevin Herter is going to be Clay Thompson, and and John Collins might be. You just always heard those comparisons. I and yep. I know people in the front office came from Golden State, so yeah, Travis came from Golden Travis, State. yeah, Travis yeah. Schlenk, right? So you definitely see some to carry out or carry over, and uh, so yeah, shout out to that front office in Atlanta. They've been a blast to watch. Um, it, it it shocked me, but it shouldn't have. Yeah, and I, I think that this is the point where we should give Trey Young his flowers, right? Because right. this dude's a superstar. I mean, there, there's is. no way, shape, or form around it. We need to talk about him as such. He is one of the best players in the NBA. He's a, you know, I, I don't know, I don't care about the ranking, right? But he is <laughs> an elite player in the league. He can go out and get his own bucket. He's an elite creator for others. He's one of the most dynamic offensive forces that the NBA has seen at his age in the league's history. We will see where it goes from here. He's 22 years old. The odds are he's going to get better, right? Because guys <laughs> right. that are 22 years old tend to get better, right? Yep. But for where he is right now, he's one of the best 22 and under players, 23 and under players that the NBA has seen, just point blank. So at least offensively, we don't need to dive into the defense. It's not very good, but <laughs> yeah. they're good enough. We, to at least we can talk games. about that in the Buck series when right. he's not going to be able to hide on anybody. <laughs> That's exactly right. But <laughs> you know what, man? Like Trey Young, if everyone is talking about you know like oh it's not even everyone it's these uh 
not not great actors within the sphere of talking about sports and basketball or people mm-hmm. that just like the entertainment show that, that we don't have stars we are missing like 10 of the 12 best players in the league it's or ridiculous. something like that this is good for the league that a we're getting guys like trey young and devin booker that are stepping up but b if the league can't make a superstar out of trey young do you know how badly the league will have to have fucked that up? <laughs> like <laughs> Trey no, Young, you're right. Trey Young is six foot one. He shoots from thirty feet. He is he can score he thirty. Talks on, shit. He talks shit. He can score thirty on any given night. My man took a bow in the middle of MSG. <laughs> did like, push ups. Did push ups. Embraces being a villain while also being likable at the same time. Like. If you can't make a star out of that personality, especially given the fact that he's also like an elite level playmaker for others and unselfish and mm-hmm. it just is so fun to watch, that's a fuck up on the NBA's part. Like Trey Young is a star, man. Like that dude, he, we can talk about the on the court stuff, but like off the court, that dude is a superstar. Like the only yeah. thing that is missing is the hairline for him. Like, <laughs> and I'm there, man. I've been there. I've been there for years with the hairline. But like, were you there at 22 though? Oh, James, I I'm trying to because that even where it's a little curly, it's getting a little thin for Trey. Like, there's gonna have to be some life decisions by 26 for him. Yeah, you know, I'm 31 now. So, like, I would say we we started to recede around, oh, God, it might have been, like, 20. But, like, it's kind of stopped a little bit. Like, it's not as disastrous, but we're starting to thin kind of out the top for me. So, it's a a problem. Like, I don't need to make decisions yet, but there's a non-zero chance at some point that I'm one of those old dudes that like has the like the little oval thing with thick hair on the <laughs> yeah, bottom. You're hanging on. Yeah, and I'm hanging on to it. It could end very poorly for me. And that's okay. You 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 found your your special lady. I, 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 you have nobody <laughs> to impress anymore at this point in life, Sam. That's right. Um, but in in this scenario, I, I mean, Trey is just an unbelievable star. And if the league can't make that work, I, I don't know what to say. I think one thing that could come out of this, and I think has been very much needed in the NBA, and you see it a little bit, but he's so beloved national. I was going to say with Damian Lillard, but having guys, and, and I agree with you, Trey is a guy that could transcend Atlanta, but he also could be a guy that everybody loves to hate. And I just think one thing the NBA has been missing for quite some time, probably since like the mid-2000s, I know here comes the Pistons writer talking about the Pistons, but like the, the, the going-to-work Pistons team where... You have guys who are absolutely beloved in their city and hated everywhere else. And I think we're, like, trending toward that. Trey definitely is kind of leaning, is leading the uh, charge. Devin isn't necessarily disliked as much, but I would say, as Trey. But there's definitely, like, he's been in Phoenix his whole career. Like, not many people, there were doubts about him. Like, not many people have loved Devin Booker except, like, us. Like, we've loved Devin yeah. Booker, but... Uh, and that's I, another dude that loves talking shit on the court too. Yeah, exactly. That's another dude that will call you a B word. He'll yeah, he'll call your team's favorite star a B word, no problem. Shout and he's from Michigan, so shout out to Devin Booker. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I think we're starting to see a little bit of that with so many stars in the league. There could be a time where it's we're getting back to the point where there's guys that are loved in their city and hated nationally, and whoever can break through as a team. 
it really kind of sets that 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 charge as either I love this guy or I love to hate this guy, and I, that's just been gone from the NBA for so long to me. Yeah, a little bit of it. I mean, this was the era of guys trying to team up together, and look, yeah. I, I don't think that that's a bad thing. Like, I no. think that guys should play with who they want to play with and everything. But and I think that every time they step on the court, it's competitive. Like. Uh, go watch Giannis who's like one of the nicest guys on the planet off the court and watch how hard he competes on it I mean you can't you can't say anything about it with that dude yeah. like even even Kevin Durant like Kevin Durant who went to Brooklyn to go and team up with Kyrie Irving and eventually they get James Harden I mean that dude's a killer on the court at the end of the day so yeah I look at this as a good thing for the league as well to have these guys that can become villains. But uh, the guy that it seemed like was trending that way for a little while was Joel Embiid Mm -hmm. because Joel uh, certainly is not afraid to talk his shit on (laughs) social media. But it feels like Joel is pretty beloved now. And I think that the villain in his own city has become Ben Simmons, unfortunately. My gosh. Where do we, what do we do with Philly? I always thought that they were the third best team in the East. I understood why everyone was excited about them because the defense is genuinely elite. I just wasn't Mm -hmm. sure where the buckets would come from at the end of the day. I mean, how how do they go about changing this? Because I don't think it's a fix. I don't think they have to fix things. I think they have to make some adjustments. And where do you go from here if you're Philly? I think first and foremost, you. I mean, after the the post game comments last night, which I know um, a lot of people caught Rich Hoffman's um, transcribing of Joel, and, and I think initially he just tweeted out the the part that everybody saw, where I thought the turning point was when we had a wide open basket and left with one free throw. He ended up putting out the whole context of the quote where Joel eventually. Like he ended up taking blame himself, um, but even then, with Doc saying, "I'm not sure if I have a guy who could be a a point guard on a championship team," like it's we're we're at that point, we're headed toward Ben's got to get traded. Um, do you do you think that the quote was that much better <laughs> from Joel? No, it wasn't. No, 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 no. <laughs> it, it was cleaned up a little bit. At least you saw Joel take like some onus and not just completely throw Ben under the bus. Like it was half of Ben's body and like his right arm since he. I mean, we don't know what arm Ben plays with, but yeah, it it was still bad. And I thought Docs was, I mean, just as bad, um, yeah. just simply because that's the head coach and he's been nothing but defending Ben and his shooting and everything at every corner into in that moment to finally just cave. And you know what? I think I might be in the minority here. I like what was said last night. You don't, you can't sugarcoat what we all saw. And I get it. I get you got to support your teammates. You got to do this. You can't be buddy buddy in that situation. Not to the extreme in which Ben per- lack thereof performed in the biggest moments possible. And it's like I'm not asking Ben to start shooting threes in the, at the end of a game seven. I'm asking Ben Simmons to take his six foot ten ass, one of the fastest players in the NBA, and go attack the basket. That's not that's not asking a lot. It's it's just really not. And I, I respect Philly specifically Joel and Doc, for not sugarcoating and trying to piss on our face and tell us it's rain. Because we all witnessed how bad that the, the end of these games have been for Ben. Um, and I think you have to trade him at this point. I think even, I mean, the return, there were other 29 GMs, watch what we watch. I think the return's going to be 
not as grand as it would have been a year ago, uh, but I still think you could probably get something decent from a rebuilding team. Um, I just I, I just don't see how you move forward starting next season with Ben Simmons on this team after what just transpired. And maybe I'm being a little extreme, but I, I, I don't. It's yeah, I just don't see how it's possible. Well, t- to me, here's the main reason why you can't do it. I, I mean, Joel Embiid at this point, next season, I believe he will be 28, which, yep. look, not like the oldest guy in the world here, right? But a guy that is seven foot, 280 pounds, and has a fairly substantial injury history he's literally playing on a torn meniscus right now there's something significant every year with him right it feels like yeah right and in the case of joel we don't know how long the like wear and tear is going to allow him to play at the level he's at right now which is ridiculous like the fact that he was so good again on a torn i love that dude man it's crazy it's absolutely nuts love watching him but I think that's why you have to move Ben now. You you can't keep just the windows playing. Now. Yeah, you can't just keep yeah. hoping that this works. You have to take action now, unfortunately. And uh, you have guys there that can compete. Like you have guys like Tobias Harris, who yeah, he smoked some layups last night. Like he was not very good uh, at right. times. But but he's steady. I think in most, in most instances, yeah. yeah. Like. Seth Curry was great. He was ready for that last night. Like, can you retain Danny Green? Like, Danny Green, yeah, I think they kind of missed him last night, actually, because instead of Seth Curry getting roasted against Kevin Herter, that would be Danny Green on him. And that's a substantial difference in terms of defensive acumen. Matisse Thibel, I don't know what the offense is going to bring, but that dude's a keeper on defense for sure. Tyrese Maxey is definitely a keeper because that dude's a competitor in the playoffs. Like, you have guys that you feel like you can go into a playoff series and compete with. I don't know that you yeah. can feel that way about Ben Simmons anymore. And yeah. it's not that it, it it's, I don't even think it's totally Ben's fault. Although I think it's mostly Ben's fault. I think that right. uh, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Like I don't think this coaching staff did really all that well by Ben Simmons. And I don't think that they really ran much for him. I don't think that the roster fit is set up to actualize his skills. But you know what? At the end of the day, like dude's got shoot and he can't be be able to score the ball. Can't be afraid when Trey Young is rotating over from the weak side and you're going up for a dunk right at the basket. Like you can't do it. I mean, no. it's it was that that was the moment where it just became so readily apparent for everyone to see. I mean, it's 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 tough for Ben and I mean the, the thing that frustrates me is like do you remember game 3? Like they came out of halftime. They were up I think 3 5 points at halftime. It was so aggressive, right? Yeah, they made a concerted effort to get him involved. They made a concerted effort to figure out a way to make it work with Ben Simmons on the court. He was awesome. He had 11 points and three assists in seven minutes and was unreal. Like, he was so good in that stretch. And by the end of it, he was begging for the ball because he had Danilo Gallinari on him. Mm -hmm. And by game seven, he was literally just handing the ball off to Seth Curry and then walking to the dunker spot. Like... It's the the mindset shift. Yeah, we can talk about the fact they didn't run anything for him, but 
the lack of confidence that was just kind of emanating from his body it felt like and i don't like getting into like the psycho analyzing yeah. bullshit but like you could just see it i mean you don't pass up a wide open dunk if you have confidence I and mean, it's right or you're yeah, trying to prove tough. a point and and we don't you would hope that in that moment ben's not trying to prove a point but we also like really don't know much about ben simmons um especially kind of just like you you see things about how he pushed i mean there's um obviously tanking to the top by yarn weitzman was great and there you see stuff in there um and he wrote a story today that was really good um just about kind of the pushback from ben and when they're everybody's trying to get him to shoot more um just him no him having he thinks i shouldn't say he thinks how should I say this? Um, he has an idea of who he is. And it seems like to me, when somebody tries to tell him that he needs to do X, Y, and Z, he pushes back by doing more of what he thinks he is. And I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, but To me, it makes perfect sense. Okay. Because I am someone who like gets defensive on things from the jump. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I- I've been there. Like, and I have yeah. self-awareness to understand that. But... I have that self-awareness because I'm not a $30 million a year athlete who has been the number one player in his age group since the time that I was 14, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's It's a different deal. (laughs) Right. It's, and it's, it's, yeah, I don't, I'm with you. I don't want to speculate. I don't want to say that. I mean, I think he said it himself. He wasn't uh, right mentally, but. Yeah, I, I'm just curious how much of it was. I, I I do genuinely think a lot of Ben's willingness to be aggressive when it matters is not wanting to go to the free throw line. Like, yeah. obviously, he never says it, um, but it just seems like the most glaring um, worry that he has. Um, but you also just kind of wonder if this is a guy who's like, okay, I'm the number one pick. This is the process. Everybody's talking about Joel. His nickname is the process. And I don't want to speculate, so I should probably stop here. But we don't know enough about Ben Simmons to know if maybe that like plays into it. Like, oh, you guys just want me to be a setup man? Okay, well, I'm going to set up this guy who shoots 44% from the free throw line instead of take this dunk. I don't think he would go to that extreme. But it's either that or he genuinely has a fear of being in the spotlight, which seems a little odd for a guy who's been nothing but in the spotlight his entire life. Yeah, I agree. And I think the big thing that needs to happen now is just change of scenery. Like I think that sure it's, I think he's still going to be an incredibly effective player. I'm still a big believer in Ben Simmons. You put him in the right circumstance. I think he's going to be incredible. Uh, Just finding that circumstance. Yeah. The landing spots are there. I mean, like the, the one that I think would work best for him is Portland. Can I guess? Yeah. Go ahead. Portland. Yeah. 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 I think that being able to run pick and rolls with Damian Lillard and having Mm -hmm. Damian, who's just like this force of personality, right. And say, no, Ben, you're going to run ball screens with me. Everyone traps me. So we're going to short roll you. And then you're going to have a wide open space to be able to attack. And you're going to have the ability to take advantage of four on threes. You're a basketball genius. Like this is what would work for you specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that, that I think is the best fit for Ben. I don't know. Like, do do you think that the Blazers would do CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons at this point? Because I don't know. I think in a similar 
kind of what we were talking about with Philadelphia and something has to change. Yeah. If you tell me that, and if I'm Neil O'Shea and you're telling me that I can get Ben Simmons for C.J. McCollum under contract at 24, I'm doing that deal simply because Ben immediately addresses the Portland Trailblazers' biggest issue for so many years. It gives them a versatile premier defender who can guard on the wing, can guard on the block. It, it just checks so many boxes for what Portland has struggled to do for so long. Additionally, on the offensive end, you get a low-maintenance guy who's willing to set up others, allows Dame to still be himself. I Zach Harper was giving me shit for saying this last night, but you give a little bit more responsibility to a guy like Norm Powell, who I think has it in him. I was literally um, about to say the same thing. Yeah, I, like I'm, I'm like kind of excited to see Norm as like a number two guy. I really like Norm. Um, I don't even know that he's a number two, but like I, I think that he can, he can he's provide a more player than CJ. But like, yeah, you know, you went out and you got Norm as a you know in the Gary Trent deal, and Norm is a bit more like for like with CJ in terms of being able to create his own shot, whereas yes. Gary is like a three exactly. Guy. So you yeah, said it no, better. I think that as like a secondary ball handler, like Norm Powell is like good if they can retain him. Yeah, exactly. So you don't you I mean you're going to miss CJ, but let's be fair. For as good as CJ is, CJ has his deficiencies. I mean, as we all know about defense, um but even on offense, like there were times CJ'd show up, times he wouldn't. Um I just think that the Ben Simmons swap for CJ just makes bo- so much sense for both sides. Like even in Philly for CJ, there are enough guys there to hide his deficiencies on defense. Um and, and he can just kind of be the guy he's always wanted to be in late games like obviously he'll have to share the load with Embiid but he's the perimeter guy um and maybe that takes him to a, another level I, I agree with you somebody told me when I offered that they're like yeah but CJ's 29 I'm like Philly is trying to win now this isn't like you have to go for this and if, if CJ's the best player you can get I, I, which I think is like I think that tier of player like I think John Hollinger threw out Levine today and I, I would put them in similar tier Maybe I don't Levine's think there's, at the top of that tier. I don't think there's um, any way Chicago would trade Levine. I don't, and also I don't. That Chicago team would score what twenty points a game. That would be the yeah. grossest team. Like I don't, It'd yeah, I don't. So bad. I don't know why they would, why they would want to do that. Um, but I got, I got understood John's logic. But yeah, I, I just, I think the Portland Philly trade is. I mean, people have been shouting it. It makes so much sense. Um, but I just, I, I think CJ is absolutely the cutoff for the type of tier player you can get for Ben at this point in time. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I, I feel like that's probably the highest you could go. No, I think it's interesting, and I've been trying to figure out, like, is there a package of players where, like, for Philadelphia, because ultimately Philadelphia holds the cards here, right? They have to say, yes, we're trading Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a package of players that makes more sense than CJ? And I think that, like, if they could get from Minnesota D'Angelo Russell, Jaden McDaniels, and, like, a pick or something. I like, like that. That's interesting to me. Because, like, yep. for me, like, I, I, I would take Jaden McDaniels based off of what we saw. Like, something, you know, like, as a top 10 pick in this draft. Mm-hmm. I, I think Jaden was incredible this year on defense. Uh, he knocked down spot shots with ease. He shot 36% from three. Like looks like a more of a two-way you know player that not as good defensively as Matisse Thibel but more of a two-way guy um 
than Matisse, which I think is really valuable for them as they close lineups. Mm-hmm. So you're not only getting D'Angelo Russell, you're getting another guy that I think it can play a role on a playoff team next year who's only 20 years old. Uh, yep, and I like that deal. Under a rookie contract for three years. Uh, and on the Minnesota side, you pair Anthony Edwards and Carl Towns with Ben Simmons, where Carl Towns is like the perfect fit offensively for Ben because of the way he spaces it. You know, high volume three point shooter, whereas Joel is more of a, uh, I don't want to say like a fake three-point shooter, but not necessarily a guy that gets respect out there. Everyone kind of crowds the paint against him. You Mm -hmm. absolutely have to respect whatever Carl Towns is doing away from the basket. Um, And I think that Ben would really help kind of take the workload off of, uh, you know, Anthony Edwards as he's young and kind of continues to develop. And then on top of it, Chris Finch is their coach now. And Chris Finch has been one of the best minds in terms of uh, passing big men for a long time in the NBA. You could tell me that the Timberwolves end this offseason with a trio for at least three more years of Carl Towns, Anthony Edwards, Ben Simmons. Like that's that's the kind that's of fun. trio that you can build with, I think. Yes. I agree. I like that one a lot. Um I saw somebody throw out which I don't I don't know who else it would be, but OKC and Kemba. Which yeah, I, don't love. I, I did that. I, I honestly just like was it you? a bomb. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, let's do this here. I just on. worry like who else would come with? Yeah, like I, I like if it was. I just look at OKC's roster and it's like what Philly's trying to do. I just trying to think who else would come with it. I uh, the Kemba I part it, I get. Yeah, I think it'd be Kemba as like the point guard and salary matching, and then it'd be a yeah. three team deal uh, involving okay. the other picks that Oklahoma City would have to send. Okay. Um, well, then that's different. Now I view it else. differently. Okay. Right. Like, it'd be Kemba and then, you know, two future first-round picks or something like that. And, you know, could you go out and get with those future first-round picks? Like, like Harrison Barnes doesn't make sense because there's too much overlap with Tobias Harris. Um, I was going to ask you about Buddy in the case. Yeah, there you go. Could you go get Buddy with Kemba? Like, that's interesting to me. Um, you could go try and get I'm trying to think of like some of the non-competitive teams right yeah. now Malcolm Brogdon I feel like Indiana wouldn't do it yeah like maybe you could go get Brogdon which would be fucking hilarious for the uh, <laughs> 76ers fan base um, yeah. I'm trying to think like Chicago wants to compete Cleveland like is there not really anyone on Cleveland that makes sense for them like it's it's hard to find the exact team but there are role players that are going to be out there like here's a fun one like does Utah try to change some things up and then could you go out and get like Boyan Bogdanovich and sign and trade with Conley do like two well I'm not even saying sign and trade with Conley because you're getting Kemba already but like could you use those two first round picks send those to Utah and then Utah like offshoots them to someone else to go get more like defensive athleticism I'm I'm just kind of trying to like now I'm like building four team trades that are absolutely (laughs) absurd but (laughs) I love it though um but like that that's the kind of stuff that I think makes sense for Ben um either go get someone like CJ or but I think that CJ should be more of like, he's not like play. It was funny. I was talking to Hollinger earlier and he mentioned like plan Z, like this should be X trade should be plan Z for them. I don't think Mm -hmm. CJ is plan Z for them. I think he's lower on the totem pole though. Um, I I would want to explore some other options first. 
Yeah, you, you want to get the most value you can for a guy that young who does something, I mean, does two things elite um, and is under contract. You want to, yeah, of course you want to go for whatever you can get. But I, I agree that I don't think CJ's, while he's probably low on the totem pole, I think that answers a, a lot of questions for both teams um, and wouldn't be a bad consolation prize, I guess we can call it. My final weird team, if we could find a way to do it, is Memphis. I was thinking about that. In pairing him with Jaron Jackson, the problem is you'd have to like offshoot because Jonas would have to be involved in the deal, and you have to you'd have to offshoot Jonas somewhere else. But the reason that I think that's interesting is, yeah, John Morant isn't a great shooter right now, and there would be problems, right? right. Um, but Memphis isn't going anywhere anyway unless John Morant can shoot. Yep. Exactly. So if you believe in John Morant to figure that part of his game out, because you're betting your franchise on John Morant at this point, eventually, mm-hmm. does it make sense from you know a game theory perspective to just double down, get what you need for when Ja can shoot, which is someone like Ben Simmons to pair with Jaron Jackson, who's one of the best three-point shooters, big three-point shooters that we've ever seen, yep. and play it that way? I'm I'm not even sold I believe in that, but I'm like trying to sell myself on it. No, I like it. And and you think about Memphis and we all agree that they're still so early in this process that there could be a leap taken with just more time and years with Jaron and Josh or focal points. But I also like kind of look at them. I'm like, man, they could really use one more piece. And I still think they're just going to be good enough to where they're not really going to be in position to get that piece. I don't, Outside of those two, I don't. They don't have guys that I would necessarily be able to get what I need for in trades. Like I, I like DeAnthony Melton. I like Dylan Brooks. Um, I like, I like Grayson. Um, I like Brandon Clark. I, I don't know if those are guys that are going to get you what you need in a in a trade, and, and I don't think they're going to draft low enough to get what they need. Um, I think with all that in mind, Ben. If you like, you said Sam, like you, you, the success is going to bank on job being able to shoot. If you have a chance to go get that guy, a guy like that, and just plop him in, and then you're ready to roll, uh, that's kind of hard to pass up if it's there. Yeah, like I, trying to formulate the deal is hard too. Like, what did it have to be? I mean, you could do like Dylan Brooks, which. By the way, Dylan Brooks in Philly is like exactly what they need. Is just they like would a, love Dylan Brooks, absolute like motherfucker in terms of just <laughs> going out and trying to kill people on the court, right. like just the best, right? Yeah. Um. Then, uh, and then you could throw in, I guess, like you'd, you'd have to do Melton, I think, for the money if you're trying to avoid Jonas, but you'd have to move Jonas anyway. It's yeah. it's almost too complicated to even consider, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, these two front offices are really smart in yep. terms of the way that they operate. And, yeah, I mean, if it's a bet on Josh shooting at some point anyway, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Um, okay, let's take a quick commercial break. We've, we've talked enough about Ben Simmons. Let's, uh, let's talk about some of these other playoff series, and then we'll be right back. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. 
This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back with James Edwards. James, Clippers Jazz was a surprise. That was the one that yes. took me by total shock because you lose Kawhi Leonard, you do not expect to win a playoff series. At the end of the <laughs> no, <day. laughs> no. Um, what what a what a wild turn of events. I mean, what what happened here for the Utah Jazz? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna start with love. Um, I think Ty Lue is the winner of the playoffs so far. Eh, let me not say that. Aside from Phoenix, Tyloo's up there, top three. Um, and Well, and Atlanta, yeah, so top three. His ability to adjust, his ability to experiment, his willingness to make the other team, to call the other team's card, completely, I mean, game seven, completely shattered the Jazz. Um, going, game six, yeah. Game six, I'm sorry, game six. Going five out, Five guys on the perimeter who can handle themselves, put the ball on the floor, found out can shoot. Shout out to Terrence Mann. Um, <laughs> is willing to shoot <laughs> even then. Um, and kind of having, uh, I like to call it Rudy Gobert go like in meltdown mode, like a, like a PC that just like kind of just like jittered and like somebody spilled water and like didn't know what to do. <laughs> it was, that was literally what it was. And they tested, they tested Terrence Mann, didn't think he'd shoot. Even after he had 30, still let him shoot. Um, Quinn Snyder gets a lot of props for being a really good coach, and I think he is. Uh, but playoffs again and again, kind of certain tweaks don't happen. 
And that's one kind of the, I think that's why we're seeing why Ty Lue is in LA and Doc is in Philly. Um, and one, while, while one is still playing and one is still not, the ability to, to try things, to experiment, I think that literally was the difference. Um, I, I just think the Clippers are deep. They, they show, I mean, that was one of the things that going into the regular season was their depth, um, and it showed in the playoffs. But, yeah, just the ability to literally test the defensive player of the year, make him come out and guard, make him make a decision. I mean, it, it folded Utah. They, they had no answer, and, and Quinn wasn't going to take Rudy off the floor, and I'm not sure. they. I mean, who do you go with small ball five on that? Is it, do you put Royce O'Neal there? Derek Favors didn't look good. Like, I just, Utah was in trouble once, once Ty Lue did that. And obviously, it's not rocket science. Clearly, they were in trouble. Like they overcame big deficits. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. It's still like it's still baffling. That's why I'm like jumping through this. But that's really the only thing I can think of. Like Ty Lue's willingness to experiment, and it worked out. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, with the playoffs, my approach is at some point your scheme is going to get broken. Yep. And. With coaching, you know, and look, this comes from my expert opinion of having coached zero games, but here you know, I talk to coaches all the time and like so many coaches talk about we want to stay true to who we are. We don't want to adjust to the opponent. We want the opponent to adjust to us. Uh, bud. Right. Bud. Bud does this as well. Um, yeah. The problem with that is that at the NBA level, at some point, the players are so good and the opposing coaches are so smart that your scheme is going to get broken. It's just going mm-hmm. to happen, period. Everybody's scheme is going to get broken. That's You are not special if, uh, you know, the, the you are extremely special if your scheme doesn't get broken. But right. you know, particularly, you can't go into a series at this point in the NBA in college, you can do it. Like in college, you can be Virginia, although Virginia, even in that season, they won the title. Virginia had to adjust their offense from like the blocker mover scheme to a ball screen continuity, which was different for what they ran because they needed more offense and they knew that they mm-hmm. needed more offense. So it, it's complicated, I think. But at the end of the day, you can't just go in with one club in the bag. And I think that Utah defensively this season had funnel everything to Rudy. Yep. Funnel everything to Rudy. And that's Rudy's great. And I don't think Rudy was bad in this series, Nope. but with the way that the center position is now, you need to be able to adjust and force the Clippers out of what they're doing so that you can put Rudy back on the floor. Yep. 12 points, 10 boards for him. He didn't make them pay in the small ball lineups on the other end. Right. And Rudy can't do that. Like that's just not yeah. what he does. Right. Nope. And, they, and I don't think his teammates look for him. I don't, I don't want to say they don't trust him, but they clearly don't look for him to do that or are looking to take advantage of the small ball lineup using Rudy. Right. So what Utah needs is they need a counter. They decided to double down last off season instead of creating a counter. Their mm-hmm. idea was we can get 48 great minutes of drop coverage defense if we go out and sign Derek Favors and draft Yudoka Azubuke in the first yep. round. Rather, their strategy should have been, let's go get a counter for what happens 
whenever this fails. So like I'll I'll even say like a guy that I think um I don't know if he would have signed there but signed for similar money to Derek Favors. Um like Serge Ibaka wouldn't have helped them this offseason because his back is fucked up. But to me <laughs> yeah. that's In at theory. least a, that's at least a counter, right? Yep. I think they needed to focus on that. Additionally, I just don't think this team has enough foot speed once your scheme gets broken. Great point. And once you need a counter because you need to be able to scramble around in the playoffs. You need to be able to just have guys who can go out and make plays defensively. And Boyan Bogdanovich is just not there defensively. Joe Ingles is good in the scheme that they run, but once you break the scheme, Joe Ingles is tough, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not like a scramble defender. He's a smart on ball defender who uses angles really well and is really good positionally. But if you're scrambling around, like Joe's not flying around out there, right? Like George Niang isn't flying around out there defensively. Royce O'Neal is really good on wings and can deal with point guards, but like not an elite level guard defender, a good defender of guards. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, athletic, really gives a damn, but has to save so much energy for offense in terms of shot creation, especially with Mike Conley being hurt in the series. So there were just kind of a number of things that I think played into this, but the biggest one for me is at some point in the playoffs, your scheme is going to get broken. You have to have an adjustment to that so that you can get back into what you do And Utah in this series did not have an adjustment for what the Clippers were trying to do in terms of playing small and switching around and forcing, uh, utah into difficult circumstances offensively nope you said it perfectly man um there was no counter it was doubled down to the the extreme and i mean again it it, maybe we're talking about this differently if terrence Mann didn't have the game of his life but you know what he did and when he was on his way to 28 29 30 they didn't change anything so you look at that and exactly what you said the the willingness of ty lu to change things and to lean into the small which we'd seen before like i I didn't mean experiment but like he's leaned into it before um and then and then utah not being able to adjust or have a counter and then offensively i mean we've talked about terrence man reggie jackson unbelievable i'll say this i'm fairly confident and I, i don't know it for a fact i'm fairly confident that if him and paul george weren't such good friends that he may not have gotten picked up by anybody and that's and not to say that he's a bad guy or anything, because he was nothing but a, a good guy to me. Like I've, I heard stories like this. He's not a, the nicest guy you've heard. Like his name in the league wasn't great for many years. Um, he was nothing but a nice guy to me. But just the perception of him, his play style, seeing him as the number one option in Detroit, and not really working out after injuries, because he was pretty good. I, I want to say he was a borderline all-star the year they made the playoffs 2016-17 but after the knee stuff like he just it took a while for him to come back and he him and Paul George I think they have this I asked him once why they were so close he said they have the same age and the friendship just built from there but just knowing kind of how the perception of him was and seeing that he landed on the Clippers I just firmly believe that I'm not sure he would have got another opportunity um and for him to completely take advantage of it he's a, he's one of those unique circumstances where a guy had it didn't work out but he had a role as the top player on a team top offensive player on a team so he was he's been well like i said it didn't work out he's been going through these moments for the last four or five years i mean if you go look at some of the anal, the analytics he was one of the 
the top crunch top clutch scorers in the league in some of those years with the Pistons. So now you're bringing a guy to LA where he's the when, when healthy third, fourth, fifth guy, but he has the experience of a number one guy. And you just see that mentality, that not afraid mentality. And then you have to talk about the evolution of his jump shot. Um, yep. You know, you've been doing this for a while. Reggie has not always been a knockdown shooter like he is right now. Um, and I actually did a story on it. I want to say his last year before the buyout, maybe the season before, where he started using the heavy ball that weighs, I think, like three pounds, and that just like completely transformed his jump shot. He shot well in Detroit the last few years. Uh, but just kind of having uh, the mentality of a number one guy who's not afraid, who's had moments in clutch time, and has developed his jump shot. Like his, I'm completely shocked by what's happened and transpired in his time in L.A., um, but it's credit to him for buying in to his new role, still kind of carrying that Reggie Jackson edge that people love to hate. Um, but then even just developing his game still, like he's not, he's no longer the pick and roll guy. Like the, he was the, the per, not premier pick and roll guy, but if you looked at the stats, him and Andre ran the most pick and rolls in the NBA for a certain stent, certain set of time there. That's not him anymore. And for him to transform his game and, and realize where he's at and what's needed for the Clippers to win, like kudos to him because if you would have told me he was able to do that a year and a half ago, I would have told you you're probably crazy. I think that his improvement went really under the radar this year. Um, yep. And that's on me too. Like I, I haven't really said anything about Reggie Jackson this year. Um, 43% from three, three to one assist to turnover ratio. Insane. And that's not something that we would have ever thought with Reggie Jackson. <laughs> and particularly, I think he's gotten better as a ball handler as well. Yes. I don't think, like, I think that there's more craft there now. I think that there's more, like, he's getting in and out of his moves quicker because he's more confident in the way that he is handling the ball. Um, he he is like lightning with the ball now in a mm-hmm. really impressive way and on top of it like obviously he can shoot the ball now which makes him able to play off the ball so that when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard if Kawhi comes back plays he's able to play off of them and then attack seams really well attack a closeout if a, one comes out way too heavy and yep. because he's a really good passer, because he played point guard for many years, he's so effective at finding kickouts. I mean, that second half where they Oof. won in game six, I think he had like 20 and 10. Like yeah, I think 22 10 and 10. Like he was unbelievable. Ridiculous. So uh, kudos to Reggie Jackson. Uh, like, I love Terrence, man. I've been, this has been a Terrence fr- man uh, friendly podcast for a long time. <laughs> I have been just so so uh such a fan of him and and the way he goes about his business for you know three years now he is i love your anecdote on the on the uh the airport thing yeah it's crazy like this this guy yeah he goes and plays really well at the g league elite camp which is happening literally as we speak uh for the 2021 kids and very clearly should have been invited. And they invited 10 kids from that camp that year. They invited a quarter of the event. And he goes out and just gets on the shuttle, and no one had told him he made the NBA combine. So he goes and is, like, in line at security when he gets a call with 1% on his battery, and he (laughs) picks it up. It's the NBA, and he, like, sprints out and gets a shuttle back to Chicago. Like, it's... Yeah, it's a crazy story. The one percent on the phone was like, "That's fate." 
can you can you think about how stressful that is like one percent on your phone i get stressed out whenever i'm at home and i have one percent on my phone let alone i'm about to be in an airport let alone i think i just got cut from the nba draft combine where i'm like i've been dreaming about this for my life I couldn't imagine, and I'm like, I'm just trying to put myself, like, I don't really answer calls, like, I don't, if I don't have your number saved, I don't really answer it, but, like, for him to get a call, he's like, to have the, the fortitude, to, or the, the no, to, like, I should probably pick this up, um, uh, oh, shout out yeah. to him, that's a great story, and he, he seems like a great kid, and for him to have the, these moments, and I don't want to say moment, like, just the game six, like, he's had moments, Yeah, um, I'm rooting for him. Yeah, just like super, super character kid. Uh, unbelievable person. Uh, anytime anyone has ever dealt with him. I uh, know, never have heard anyone say a bad word about him. I think that that's why immediately after the game, like before Donovan Mitchell even took questions, he just was like, before we start, I just want to shout out Terrence Mann. Because <laughs> yeah. they, they played together in uh, the New England, I uh, think New England prep school league uh, yeah. in high school. You know, uh, Terrence Mann was a tipped in and I think Donovan was at Brewster and you know they've known each other for years so the fact that terrence got that moment against donovan i'm sure was really nice for him but unbelievable for the clippers uh they move on i think this is not gonna end particularly well for them against the suns i will say that if deandre ayton doesn't play as well as he did in game one all the time they can it's interesting they can present some issues playing small because they can switch all of those like spain pick and roll actions that Mm -hmm. phoenix has had a lot of success with in the playoffs and throughout the season but if deandre is going to just punish inside like he has throughout the playoffs it's going to be tough for them i think it's going to be really tough for the clippers no certainly and it's i mean kind of what we it's the anti utah gobert situation what the uh uh, DeAndre did in game one he made them pay for playing small and I mean again kudos to the teammates for getting him the ball um but yeah that's that's how you break that down in force I'm, I'm curious to see what Lou does next like I've been fascinated with Tyrone Lou um this playoff yeah, series I agree. I'm, I'm just very curious how he adjusts to that okay uh trying to think if there's anything else we want to talk about here outside of Kemba before we move on do you just want to do a quick five minutes on Brooklyn and um, Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Just yeah. uh, the Kevin Durant Giannis duel for the ages. Just one of my favorite games. I I, uh, I had to go out because as I, I told you before we got on the podcast, my wife and I are moving into a new place and we have to go out and buy all the furniture and buy all of the things that you need to fill out a house, all that stuff. So, you know, hot take whenever you move from the United States to Australia, you end up losing a lot of things in the process <laughs> uh so we'd go out and buy all this new stuff so the last few weekends during the day we've been out at malls and things like that so i how dare you have a way- life sam i know right um if if we're not tweeting we're not watching that's how i always feel it's like i'm just sitting like there's a lot of times where i'm just like watching the game and not tweeting i'm like do people like do, do i like do people think i'm like not watching like it's so it's so weird but you i'm just, glad you you got out and did life stuff you got to get past it like it, I, I used yeah. to feel that way too but it, just let the work stand for itself at the end of the day exactly people will know what you're talking about if you if you know what you're talking about you know what i mean right um so i was out at the mall while the game happened and i found a way 
So in Australia here, I don't have internet or phone service really whenever I go out. So interesting. Yeah, it's actually kind of a nice departure, to be honest. Yeah. So we were out until well after the game ended, and I had no idea the game ended. I, or I had no idea what the score was. I had no idea anything like that. So I come home, I queue it up on Synergy immediately. And there was an Australian football game, and my family is all Essendon fans, as am I. So they're watching the Essendon game on the TV. I'm sitting on a couch with my iPad losing my fucking mind <laughs> while they're watching this game while Kevin Durant's making like wrong footed step back jumpers with his toe on the line to almost win the series. Like I'm losing my shit and they're all just like staring at me. Like what is wrong with you? Oh my God. It was the best. That's awesome. Um, but it was one of the most fun games I think I've ever watched in basketball in my life. Uh, that was so much fun. That that series genuinely might have been the peak of Kevin Durant. And yes. think about how crazy that statement is. Kevin Durant is so fucking good at basketball. He's like but one of the that was best a level ever. like that was a level I mean you can't even put into words really what we witnessed, but it was like you looked at that and you saw who did it, you're like, Man, it was a reminder that if anybody on planet Earth can do what we just saw, it's that man right there. Like even with the greats, um and with KD having health issues the last few years just kind of the circus of his career with leaving teams joining teams that all kind of takes precedent when you think about kd until he gives you one of those and it's just like oh yeah like yep. it's the baddest motherfucker walking it is um and and i'm I've, i i know we don't forget what kd can do but i'm glad he sent that reminder on the biggest stage um it was just great to see and just also good to see that he can play at that level again, like with the in- after the injury, and w- nobody's brought up the injury at all in in months. So it's just good for everybody to have that Kevin Durant back. I am so excited to bet on Kevin Durant to win MVP next year. Yes. Like I- I'm just like ready. Like I'm sitting here. I'm I'm ready and willing. Like I, I just need, refreshing. I I just need odds on the 2022 yeah. MVP. It's, it's happening. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Durant is is the best player in the world, and he's going to come back and just be like, holy shit, I'm winning this award next year. Uh, I'm I'm so excited to do that. Uh, But the Bucs move on. Giannis really stepped up. I thought that was a career-defining game for Giannis. It was absolutely spectacular. Uh, Even if they had lost, like I I couldn't have found fault with anything he did in that game. I thought he was awesome. Um, Brooke Lopez was incredible, and in that series with the Hawks, the difference between Milwaukee and Philadelphia is kind of similar to what you said. Yeah, I think that they'll probably hide Trey on PJ Tucker, right? Mm-hmm. But it's going to be harder to hide guys like Gallinari, I think, and harder yes. to hide like the other guys. Yeah. Uh, We're going to find out how good Herder can defend. Yeah, and I think he's good positionally. Like I, I think Kevin's I actually been yeah. really good defensively throughout the playoffs, but it's kind of a different beast whenever you have to guard uh, Chris Middleton, potentially. Yep. Which he might have to take some minutes on Middleton, and that's going to be really difficult. Uh, he might have to take some minutes on Drew Holiday, too, because there's just no way that you can put Trey on Drew. I think Drew will overpower him. So yep. I, I'm really intrigued with that series. I think the difference between the two teams is that, yeah, Milwaukee plays a drop similar to Philadelphia. But 
I think that Milwaukee is also going to be able to take better advantage offensively of what Atlanta is going to be able to present to them with Giannis mm-hmm. and with the floor spacing that they have. So I I agree. It's to me I this might sound asinine given how much we just pumped up the Hawks, but like how you were saying you're looking for the MVP odds for KD, I'm waiting to see. I haven't looked yet. I need to see what the sweep odds are for oh, Milwaukee wow. Atlanta. I'm saying it. Room. I'm getting it and it's it's no slight to Atlanta. But similar to what you just laid out, I wonder how they defend Giannis. There's not going to be Simmons, Hill, Dybul lineups on the floor ever. There's nothing Bud, even Bud can't mess that up. Um, and I just think defensively, for defensively for Milwaukee, it's just a team that, yeah, phys- Philly is physical, um, but that was a team that just kind of felt like mentally checked out at, at certain points in every game. I do think Milwaukee does dumb stuff, but I don't think they ever mentally check out. And that's a long physical team that you're really going to have to deal with. And I and I do worry about Atlanta's legs catching up to them. Uh, they haven't been here before. They just went through a grueling series. I I think this is where it call. I think this is where the the cool story ends. And I think it ends in a, a dramatic fashion. Not a, I'm sorry, an anti dramatic fashion. <laughs> I, I think that the Hawks will keep it tight because I think Trey will go off a few games. Like I think this is another great Trey series. But yeah, I, I'm being facetious, facetious. I can never say it facetious, but if, I think if the sucks. odds are plus one thousand, we're going to have a discussion. I think the I think the uh, Bucks are minus four hundred, and that would make the Hawks, you know, something in the three hundred range. Okay. Um, if I saw the opening odds. right there, I'm not 100% I saw the opening right. It'd be like maybe two, okay. 280, something like that. So you get 2.8 to 1. I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's I, not I as think, fun. Yeah, I think Milwaukee will win the series. Uh, I think that they just present a few more problems. But at the end of the day, I'm intrigued. And I want to see where this Hawks team goes. Let, let's finish on Kemba here. Uh, before we get out of here, Kemba Walker traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder along with the number 16 overall pick for Al Horford, Moses Brown. Uh, who, who else is involved in that deal? The Kemba uh, Walker trade. There might be someone. The else. number 16 pick. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Where? where that was, wasn't that it? Kemba, Moses, and 16? And Horford. Uh, and, I'm sorry. Yes, and Horford. Yeah, no, you're right. That is it. It was just those two things and a couple second round picks going each yes. way. Um, so, yeah, interesting move, I thought, for Boston. I-, I thought that it made sense to get off of Kemba because at the end of the day, Boston is trying to compete in 2023 and 2024 more mm-hmm. so than in 2022, in my opinion. And getting the flexibility heading into the summer of 2022, I think, is more important for them than having Kemba Walker on the roster. Uh, you know, mid-tier first-round picks aren't nothing, but in terms of salary relief, that's about the going right rate for the difference between Kemba Walker and Al Horford. So yeah. uh, it was a good deal that I think made sense all around. Oklahoma City accomplished its objectives. Boston accomplished its objectives. Uh, obviously, it doesn't look great in a vacuum for you know the Celtics to move off of Kemba this quickly, but... You know, at the end of the day, that's a sunk cost, and you just have to do the deal that makes the most sense at the time. Yep, and I, I secretly kind of like. I mean, I, I think most of us basketball nerds like kind of like the Moses Brown going there. Like, I think he could help them. 
um, especially like you said, when they are ready like to compete. And even hit like his contract is cheaper than the 16th pick, correct? It like is. Two- it is. Yeah, I, I, w- I will say I'm I'm out on the Moses Brown. Uh, okay. Excitement. Not not okay. out. I, I think out is strong. Let's just I, let's pump the brakes a little. Yeah, he's very productive as a rebounder, very productive on the interior as a scorer. If you guys, like, I don't know how much Oklahoma City you watched late in the year. Like, not a lot. His his defense is not great. Is it that bad? Okay. Yeah, I mean. Well, that's good I to think- know. Someone someone tweeted at me. He looks like a giraffe flying around um, <laughs> with limbs going every direction in pick and roll defense. And I haven't okay. been able to get that image out of my mind because I understood where they were going with that. <laughs> right, but you want to see it, yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry, I don't remember who tweeted that to me. Um, you know, someone, I hope they're a writer because that's so, pretty good. Yeah, someone. Uh, <laughs> Someone hit me if you said that to me with the retweet, and I'll retweet it because um, that was good. But yeah, he, he's kind of a mess defensively. He's really young though, so I think he's a good third center for them, and that's all they're looking for. They have Al Horford right. and Rob Williams still. Oh yeah, I forget about Rob Williams. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, at, at the core of the deal, it was clear that um, yeah, it just seems like Brad. It, it appears that Brad wasn't necessarily a fan of. The Kemba move initially, um, given that his first move as GM is to make the trade to get him out of there. Um, whether or not that's the case, it, it seems it seems like that. Obviously, he had a few years to coach him and realized that something was missing uh, with the roster and how it was constructed and where it needed to go from here. But you, you would think maybe he not he wasn't necessarily the biggest backer of that. Um, when it when it was first presented, yeah, no, I, I think that I, I don't know what to think on you know how excited Brad was about it, but it seems like from reporting since then that Kemba was not happy that they tried to move him after last season, and then that too, right. I, I think it's certainly clear that Brad, you know, even if he was in on it initially, may not have stayed in on the idea right yeah. <laughs> um of continuing along the kemba deal and it, look like kemba walker's another guy with a history of uh let's go with leg injuries and knee injuries and yeah. it's unclear how effective he's going to be going forward i mean he was not playing back-to-backs this year uh maybe another year of getting away from that initial injury will help with that but Mm-hmm. He was struggling with it in the playoffs too, so I, I understand wanting to move on from Kemba if you're Boston, uh, and I, I would be comfortable with moving on in the way that they did, given that you're again you're trying to build for later on, and, and on top of it, like there's a real case that Al Horford's just going to be more effective for them than Kemba was right. this year because Horford was pretty good for Oklahoma City. He wasn't quite what he was in Boston for those few years where he was there, but he was clearly better than he was in Philadelphia. Yep. In and he was a great up. He'll be a great upgrade from what Boston trotted out um, due to some deficiencies and inexperience and in, in Williams's part, but what they trotted out at center this past season. Yeah, totally. So uh, it's a good move for everyone involved. I think, I, I don't know that we need to belabor the point beyond that. Uh, in terms of the draft lottery, what uh, what are we looking for to finish up on? 
Man, you know, Sam, you know how much Pistons fans love you, but today they were upset with you, buddy. I don't even know that they were. I, I respected. I, I felt... Um, they were nicely upset. Yeah, they were They were jokingly upset. I appreciate yeah, them. Because I said nice words about like the direction that the organization is heading, and I just... No, you worried. did. I just worry that Troy Weaver doesn't value shooting quite enough from a fun perspective for Cade. Right. Not necessarily yeah. uh, from a uh, team building perspective, because I think Troy Weaver is really good, to be honest. Certainly. Like, no, I, I think, one, Detroit fans are just scarred, um, especially <laughs> when it comes, aside from just how the franchise has been since 2006, 7, 8, whatever it was, um, it's particularly when it comes to the lottery. They've never moved up with their own pick. They notoriously pick 6th and 7th and 8th. They're just scarred. And this is the first time the team truly like embraced a rebuild. And they put themselves in a position to have the number one pick. They want some hope. So that's they were like at least hoping to see their name on the graphic for the story. That's it. Well, they had the photo. The photo with the jersey. But then when they saw the list, they were like, eh. But I agree. I think Troy, great evaluator. He's already shown that. Um, but I, I wonder, Dwayne Casey has been very, very adamant. He got, he said on the record, it was either after a practice, I think it was after, it had to be after a practice. He was like, somebody asked him, what do you guys need going forward? He's like, well, in the draft, we need finishing, scoring, and shooting. So basically, Kate Cunningham, um, is what he was getting at, Jalen Green, those types. Um, but I think Dwayne, and every time he's talked to us, He's beaten. We need shooting. We need shooting. And I think Troy respects him. I think Troy knows the team needs shooting. I think Troy's done a good job of building out kind of the rest of the young core in terms of having athletes. You got Hamadou Diallo, um, who's a restricted for agent. I do think they bring back. Josh Jackson had some good moments this year. Um, Sadiq Bey is a shooter. Isaiah Stewart stretched the floor. Um, Killian is injured most of the year, showed some signs when he got back. Um, it's clear that they do need more shooting. And I, I don't think Troy, like, say they fall to six. Like, I don't know if they go, like, Moses Moody, like, to address it. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I, I do think, think would, yeah. maybe if it, like, they pick two and it's between Green and Mobley, that shooting does factor in heavily. And that's just me. That's not me reporting anything. That's just me kind of the sense I get. Yeah. <sighs> It's it's hard because we do know that this front office values the center position, mm-hmm. and I, I I don't know. I, I would be interested to see how hard pressed they would be to pass on Evan Mobley, just given how yeah. complete he is. Yeah. Um, he he just has a lot of the traits that Weaver looks for as a player. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do think that they. You know the the impression I've got is that they would be just happy with any of the top four. Right, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting. Um, the, the the real question is what happens if they fall to like five and six? Because I, I don't I, I don't know what to think in that scenario. Like I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that like Jonathan Kamingo is like the guaranteed number five pick for anyone, um, but also the Pistons too. Right. Yeah, I, I think we've. I don't know if we've talked about, it, but I think so. I I keep hearing James Booknight is someone they really like. Yeah. Um, and it kind of tracks. I mean, if you think about the type of guys Troy does like, um, and for, there's part of me too. If they pick, if they pick six. Do you try to move back maybe nine, ten, and see if you can get a Zaire Williams? Um, 
who I believe there there's interest there too. I I'm yeah, I think that's the question. What do you do at five and six? Um because I think a lot is riding on them getting a top four pick. I think that decides a lot about the pace of this rebuild. Um I don't think there's impatience right now, but I definitely think that there is a great hope that falling in the top four this year allows them to be on a path where they can where they can come out and say that an opening media day like we hope to make the playoffs. Um, and if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, oh well. Yeah. If you get pick five and six, I don't know if that message, I don't know if you're pushing that message um, maybe as hard as you are if you get one of the top four picks. Yeah, I think that that's probably true. I don't know that they'll come out and be like, let's make the playoffs next year. But I think that they, they'll they be like, hey, we're excited about the season and right. we think we're going to be very competitive. You know what I mean? Right. Um, the, the problem is that once you start throwing the more playoffs around as a rebuilding team, the clock starts, and I don't yep. think you want to do that necessarily artificially. Um, I mean, look, if a team could move back from five or six to nine and pick up an extra first-round pick, like I, I would 100% be in favor of that this year. That That's just a valuable thing to do, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in this draft class particularly. Now... Do I think that there are going to be partners to trade with? Uh, I don't know. I'm not convinced of that necessarily. Interesting. You I think everybody will be outside of the top four will be pretty okay with where they're at? Yeah, like let's just sit here and wait to see what comes to us, right? Yeah. Because I think the talent's pretty flat from... Look, like I, I really like Scotty Barnes. Um, I have Book Knight at seven on my board. Um, mm-hmm. I really like Davion Mitchell at eight. But, you know, if you could tell me that I could draft Davion Mitchell or I could draft Chris Duarte and have another future first round pick that I can throw into the asset chamber at 13 or, you know, I can draft Moses Moody at 13. I'd probably take the latter uh, if it was me, but you know, I think that every team is going to have different evaluations on these guys. Like it wouldn't surprise me if some teams have Scotty Barnes, like in the mix with Kuminga at five, like to the point where they have Scotty Barnes at five because mm-hmm. I know that teams do really like him. So uh, it's going to be interesting. There are a lot of different evaluations um, out there this season. So I am, I, I'm in, I'm intrigued by this whole deal. I have a, I have a question for you, just a, a, yeah. a genuine wanting to pick your brain. How do I ask it? All right. Cunningham goes one. We'll just say that's sure. happening. What are the odds how many worlds do you see in which Jalen Green goes number two? I think it's like 33, 33, 33% right now. Okay. For all That's of, how I felt, but I wanted to ask the expert. I, I don't even know that I would say 33. I think that Evan Mobley and Jalen Green probably have a slightly better chance to go two than Jalen Suggs. Okay. I personally have Jalen Suggs at two, right. but the impression I've gathered in conversations around the league, and this is not ruling out Jalen Suggs by any stretch from going number two, would not surprise me if he goes number two at all, because we don't know who's picking at number two at this point. Um, <laughs> right. I, I would say that Mobley more than Green, it'd be like 40, 39, 21 in terms of percentages, something like that, or like, you know, 40, 35, 25. Right. 
and that'll fluctuate once you find out tomorrow who's picking number two. I'm sure you'll have a right. You could maybe bump a percentage up or down. Right. So I'm uh, I'm intrigued by the whole thing. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I'm not sure who's going to go number two, but I, I think it's really wide open. I think Green would probably be mm, the second most likely player to go number two, though, for sure. What are where? And this is the last thing, and then we can get out of here. Um, what is stopping whoever gets number one tomorrow to just say we're taking Cade and let's just move on? Like I, I'm trying to recall how often like did that even happen with LeBron? Trying to think, I, the Pelicans were pretty open about the fact that we're taking yeah. Zion. Like, let's just do it. Let's they <laughs> pan the camera to the team that gets number one. I want whoever's the representative. Like, it's Cade. We got Cade. We're taking Cade, and let's just clock is on number two. Right. Uh, look, I, I let's get the draft done have... by July 29th. <laughs> <laughs> I personally have Cade at number one. I have yet to talk to anyone who does not have Cade at number one. But I've talked to enough people that think like Evan Mobley is in the same tier with Cade. Okay. To where somebody could shock you. Could shock us. I don't think, I think Cade's going number one. Like I I would be legitimately shocked if Cade does not go number one, but I've at least like, had enough conversations to where you know someone's been like yeah like i think evan mobley's really good and i'm a little bit worried about cade's ability to get separation um you know would still take cade but just because of like the value of ball handlers and creators but really like evan mobley and think that he's also an all-star you know what i mean yeah Yeah. so i get it i can't wait to find out Yeah, I'm excited to find out, too. I will probably have a podcast tomorrow as well, uh, post-lottery, breaking down all of the results. I think that's about all I've got for you guys today, though. James, tell the people where they can find your work. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at JL Edwards, III, um, The Athletic, under the Pistons tab, occasionally under the NBA tab. Yeah, if uh, if you're a transported michigander which there are many of you and Mm -hmm. you've yet to check out the athletic which i'm sure is not the case if you're following sam and his great work and his podcast but in the rare case that you are i'm over there doing piston stuff regularly um yeah this is uh it's been a blast to be honest it's always great catching up with you and, and picking your brain and i'm all but certain we will be on a google doc here within in the next few weeks together absolutely James, thank you for coming on. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We'll be back next, uh, the next day, potentially, on a lottery <laughs> podcast that goes live tomorrow. Uh, but until then, we'll talk soon.